Um, uh, and I believe he came home yesterday, right? It's my understanding. Last night. Okay. So um, uh, Luis has once again coordinated meals on the Take Them a Meal website. If you have any questions about how to access that, you can ask Luis. Uh, but uh, let's make sure that we feed the Johnsons well as we are wont to do. I have, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that's happening in uh, the wake of uh, Kathy's departure is I'm doing some of the things she did. So I have a case of diapers in my uh, the hatchback of my car to take to them because that's the, that's what happens. By the way, you have a baby when you're here, you get a case of diapers from the church, and uh, because Peter was already born when New Hope started, they they missed out with him. So uh, I think that may be why they had the second. Uh, we have. This morning, the opportunity to learn about God's roadies. Does everybody know who the roadies are? The roadies. Roadies are the guys who set up for the concert and take it down. It is a, uh, a largely unsung uh, deal, although Jackson Brown has a famous song called The, the Loadout, which is all about the roadies. Uh, it seems like every band, every artist writes a, a song about being on the road. Jackson Brown had the courtesy to uh, to write about the roadies and his. But the roadies are the guys who show up, load in all the gear, set up all the trusses and the lights, and connect all the cords and the cables and make sure that uh, all the instruments are ready. And then afterward, when the show's over, they take everything down. It's uh, inevitably... There's always going to be the one guy who's the last guy to load that last case into the truck and to watch the door close and then to see it move on. And God loves roadies and God calls roadies. God, in fact, designated an entire tribe, most of whom got to be his roadies in the wilderness. Talking about the Levites, we're here in Numbers chapter 1, Parshat Naso. Uh, but before that, last week in Parshat Bamidbar, we'll pick up there in chapter 1, verse 47. The families of the tribe of Levi, however, were not counted along with the others. Yahweh had said to Moses, look, don't count the tribe of Levi or include them in the census of the other Israelites. They're not going to be fighting. Instead, appoint them to be in charge of the tabernacle of the testimony over all its furnishings and everything belonging to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all of its furnishings. They're to take care of it and encamp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is to move, the Levites are to take it down. And whenever the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall do it. Anyone else who goes near it shall be put to death. The Israelites are to set up their tents by division, each man in his own camp under his own standard. The Levites, however, are to set up their tents right around the tabernacle of the testimony so that wrath will not fall on the Israelite community. The Levites are to be responsible for the care of the tabernacle of the testimony. And the Israelites did all this just as Yahweh commanded Moses. You remember, right? God's people go to Egypt. You have the sons of Jacob of Israel, the 12 tribes. Joseph, being extra special, ends up becoming two tribes, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, his kids. And the tribe of Levi is set apart for the service of worship, for the service of the tabernacle, and then later on they took care of the service of the temple. Now, as you're going to see, you've got the sons of Aaron and Moses. Aaron's particular line is, is going to be the people who are involved as the priests in the temple, doing the priestly service that we've been reading about in Leviticus. 
but you've got a whole lot of other Levites, other clans among the Levites. They're not going to be priests themselves, but they are going to be enabling the priests to do the work they have to do. They would be in a contemporary church. They would be the maintenance guys or the worship uh, team or in the uh, more traditional church, you would have the sexton, would be like a Levite. This, chapter 3, is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses at the time that Yahweh talked with Moses on Mount Sinai. The names of the sons of Aaron were Nadav, the firstborn, and Avihu. Remember what happened to them? Eleazar and Ithamar. They were the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests who were ordained to serve as priests. Nadav and Avihu, however, fell dead before Yahweh when they made an offering with unauthorized fire before him in the desert of Sinai. They had no sons. They were dead. So only Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests during the lifetime of their father Aaron. Yahweh said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary must be put to death. Yahweh also said to Moses, I've taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether man or animal. There to be mine, I am Yahweh. So basically, Yahweh is taking an entire tribe, the Levites, entire clan, and saying, all right, the, the Levites are going to stand in for that basically dedicated firstborn. Yahweh said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, Count the Levites by their family and clans. Count every male a month old or more. So Moses counted them just as he was commanded by the word of Yahweh. So uh, if, if we can throw that slide up, just to remember, we're, they're, they're there in the wilderness, everybody's camping, uh, and they've been given their designated positions, and the Levites there are right around the tabernacle. And, and uh, that may be helpful as we go through these. The names of the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These are the names of the Gershonite clans, Libni and Shimei. The Kohathite clans, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the Merarite clans were Machli and Mushi. These were the Levite clans according to their families. Now to Gershon belong the clans of the Livnites and Shimeiites. These were the Gershonite clans. Gershonite clans are the ones hanging out to the west of the tabernacle. The number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 7,500, although, as we talked about last week, the numbers and numbers are a little funny. The Gershonite clans were to camp on the west behind the tabernacle, the leader, and, and that's behind because the tabernacle opening faces to the east. Good. Got a call this week from the Boy Scouts of America, by the way. They want to open up a, a new troop right here at New Hope. And so if anybody has any orienteering catching up to do. We can have a remedial orienteering class. They'll break out their compasses and help us. Leader of the family of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, son of Lael, and at the tent of meeting the Gershonites were responsible for, here is specifically what the Gershonite roadies had to do, they were responsible for the care of the tabernacle and the tent, its coverings, the curtain at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains of the courtyard, the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and altar, and the ropes, and everything related to their use. What the curtains? Yes, in fact, the curtains. And to Kohath belonged the clans of the Amramites, Isharites, Hebronites, and Ozeelites. These were the Kohathite clans. Number of all the males a month old or more was 8,600. Kohathites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. 
The Kohathite Rhodes camped on the south side of the tabernacle. The leader of the families of the Kohathite clans was Elizaphan, the son of Uziel. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use. Chief of the leader of the leader, chief leader of the Levites was Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest. He was appointed all over all those who were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. And to Merari belonged the clan of the Malites and the Mushites. These were the Merarite clans. The number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 6,200. The leader of the families of the Merarite clans was Zuriel, son of Abahel. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. The Merarites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, bases, all its equipment, and everything related to their use, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tents, tent pegs, and ropes. And Moses and Aaron and his sons were to camp to the east of the tabernacle toward the sunrise in front of the tent of meeting. They were responsible for the care of the sanctuary on behalf of the Israelites, and anyone else who approached the sanctuary was to be put to death. So, we have here the classic division of labor, do we not? In fact, a very explicitly delineated division of labor. Right? If this feels a little lengthy to you, you can go back and review basically the second half of Exodus where we have in loving detail the construction of all of these articles that are going to be humped around the desert, and then you may not feel like this is so long. But God seems to care very much about the details. And that we, as we talked about in that passage of Exodus, we, we saw that God had by his Spirit given gifts to certain people to be able to do the work of constructing, of designing and constructing this tabernacle in which he was to be worshipped. Here, uh, and, and, and what we saw was that God cared about the details. That God, there's a sense in which that, what that testifies to is the fact that God cares about beauty. God cares about art. God cares about human creativity and what people are able to accomplish. And that he is honored in his worship by the fruits of human creativity. Here, I think, we see that God is honored in his worship by the fruits of human brute force, strength, the ability to carry stuff from place to place, to pack it up right, to set it up right, and to do it time and again. It's important. He's placed this under the authority of Moses and Aaron. The priests who are responsible for worship are overseeing these guys. But they are called to an important job. Not a glorious job, but a very, very important job nonetheless. Which is why we get this description of the job. And just, I'm going to read this. And, and just close your eyes and... and, and Maybe some of you already have your eyes closed. That's okay. But those of you who are still awake, close your eyes. Listen and just picture in your mind's eye what this would have looked like. You're, you're an Israelite. You're one of the people camped around in, in one of the other tribes. And it's time to go. The, the pillar of cloud or fire is about to head off. And, and now the Levites are breaking down the tabernacle. Just imagine this. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, so take a census of the Kohathite branch of the Levites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 years of age who come to serve in the work of the tent of meeting. This is the work of the Kohathites in the tent of meeting, the care of the most holy things. When the camp is to move, Aaron and his sons are to go in and take down the shielding curtain 
and cover the Ark of the Testimony with it. Then they're to cover this with hides of sea cows to spread a cloth of solid blue over that and put the poles in place. Over the table of the presence, they're to spread a blue cloth and put on it the plates, dishes, and bowls and the jars for drink offerings. The bread that is continually there is to remain on it. Over these, they're to spread a scarlet cloth, cover that with hides of sea cows and put its poles in place. They're to take a blue cloth and cover the lampstand that is for light together with its lamps, its wick trimmers and trays, all its jars for the oil used to supply it. Then they're to wrap it and all its accessories in a covering of hides and of sea cows and put it on a carrying frame. Over the gold altar, they're to spread a blue cloth and cover that with hides of sea cows and put its poles in place. They're to take all the articles used for ministering in the sanctuary, wrap them in a blue cloth, cover that with hides of sea cows, and put them on the carrying frame. They're to remove the ashes of the bronze altar and spread a purple cloth over it. Then they're to place on it all the utensils used for ministering at the altar, including the fire pans, the meat forks, shovels, and sprinkling bowls. Over it, they're to spread a covering of hides of sea cows and put its poles in place. And after Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all its holy articles... And when the camp is ready to move, then the Kohathites are to come to do the carrying. So all that other covering of all these sacred instruments were taken care of by Aaron and his sons. The priests take care of covering the most holy things, and then the Kohathites come and haul them. But they better not touch the holy things or they'll die. That's why, if you remember... All these things were constructed with poles, with rings. You stuck the poles through them, and then they were carried by the poles. Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, is to have charge of the oil for the light, the sacred, fragrant incense, the regular grain offering, the anointing oil. He's to be in charge of the whole tabernacle and everything in it, including its holy furnishings and, and articles. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, Now see that the Kohathite tribal clans are not cut off from the Levites so that they may live and not die when they come near the most holy things. You've got to do this for them. Aaron and his sons are to go into the sanctuary and assign to each man his work and what he is to carry. But the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things, not even for a moment, or they will die. And Yahweh said to Moses, Take a census also the Gershonite by their families and clans, count all the men from 30 to 50 who come to serve in the work of the tent of meeting. This is the service of the Gershonite clans as they work and carry burdens. They're to carry the curtains of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, its covering, and the outer coverings of hides of sea cows, the curtains for the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains of the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle, and the altar, the curtains for the entrance, the ropes and all the equipment used in its service. The Gershonites are to do all that needs to be done with these things. All their service, whether carrying or doing other work, is to be done under the direction of Aaron and his sons. You shall assign to them as their responsibility all they are to carry. This is the service of the Gershonite clans of the tent of meeting. Their duties are to be under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. And then count the Merorites by their clans and families. Count all the men from 30 to 50 who come to serve in the work of the tent of meeting. This is their duty as they perform service at the tent of meeting to carry the frames of the tabernacle its crossbars, its posts and bases, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, ropes, all their equipment, and everything related to their use. Assign to each man the specific things he's to carry. This is the service of the Merorite clans as they work at the tent of meeting under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest. 
And so then Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the community counted the Kohathites by their clans and families. The Gershonites were counted by their clans and families. The Merarites were counted by their clans and families. So Moses and Aaron and the leaders of Israel counted the Levites by their clans and families. At Yahweh's command through Moses, each was assigned his work and told what to carry. Thus, they were counted as Yahweh commanded Moses. Here we have the same refrain we get so many times throughout Torah. God told them to do something. Moses says, God told us to do this. And they did it. They did it faithfully, just as God told us told them to do it. So then in chapter 7, here's what happens. When Moses finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it and, and all of its furnishings. He also anointed and consecrated the altar and all its utensils. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the families, who were the tribal leaders in charge of those who were counted, made their offerings. They brought as their gifts before Yahweh six covered carts and twelve oxen, an ox from each leader and a cart from every two. These they presented before the tabernacle. Yahweh said to Moses, Accept these from them that they may be used in the work at the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites as each man's work required, at which point many of the Levites were deeply relieved because now they get U-Hauls. Moses took the carts and oxen and gave them to the Levites. He gave two carts and four oxen to the Gershonites as their work required. He gave four carts and eight oxen to the Merorites as their work required. All those were under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the high, Aaron the priest. But Moses didn't give any to the Kohathites because, remember, they have the holy things and they carry those on poles on their shoulders. We had a little incident coming up later on in First Kings, right, where... Uh, I'm sorry, in uh, 1 Samuel, where you have the uh, uh, Uzzah deciding to carry the uh, cart, uh, the uh, uh, Ark of the Tabernacle, there on a cart, on an ox cart. He touches it, he dies. They're to be carried. And then in 89, verse 89, at the end of this chapter, when Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with Yahweh, having done all the things as he was commanded to do, and everybody having done all the things they were commanded to do, Moses enters the tent of meeting to speak with Yahweh. And he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two cherubim above the atonement cover on the Ark of the Testimony. And he spoke with him. All this is set up so that Moses, when he goes in to speak with God, will have, with God's people, prepared the place for him to be as he commanded. That's the testimony here. Chapter 8, verse 20. Moses, Aaron, and the whole Israelite community did with the Levites just as Yahweh commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves and washed their clothes. And Aaron presented them as a wave offering before Yahweh and made atonement for them to purify them. After that, the Levites came to do their work at the tent of meeting under the supervision of Aaron and his sons. They did with the Levites just as Yahweh commanded Moses. And here we have the first mandatory retirement age in Scripture. Yahweh said to Moses, this applies to the Levites. Men 25 years or more shall come to take part in the work of the tent of meeting, but at the age of 50 they must retire from their regular service and work no longer. They may assist their brothers in performing their duties at the tent of meeting, but they themselves must not do the hauling. And this, then, is how you are to assign the responsibilities of the Levites. 
all this work of carrying, all this work of hauling, all this work of serving. The word in the Hebrew is avodah, which later on in, in the later prophets and in the rabbinic era, in the time of the, uh, the rabbis after the Old Testament was completed, Avodah was a word that came to be used almost exclusively to refer to worship, to the sacred worship, the work of worship. You get a similar phenomenon in, in Greek. The word latreia is, is work, but it's specifically worship, the work of worship. And what we see is that these Levites, these roadies, are serving God, are worshiping God, by doing this very unglamorous but very necessary work. I wonder if it wasn't a Levite who wrote Psalm 84, maybe a Levite in the latter years of his life. How lovely is your dwelling place, Yahweh Almighty. Maybe a Levite who has spent his life involved in enabling the priests to serve there in the temple. Maybe a Levite who knows the temple and its precincts inside and out. And he talks about how lovely it is. My soul yearns, it even faints for the courts of Yahweh. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrows found a home, the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Yahweh Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who've set their hearts on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Yahweh God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I'd rather be the Walmart greeter at the temple than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For Yahweh, God, is a sun and shield. Yahweh bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Yahweh Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. Whether the work is glamorous or not, it is sanctified. Many of you know I do this Washington Post blog, this panel, and their question this week was whether somebody, you know, talking about all these candidates who are saying that they think they're called to be president or called to run for president, they're saying, is, is there such a thing as, as a, a religious vocation to politics? I said, you know, the, the thing is, the, the, the whole phrase religious vocation is kind of redundant. Because a vocation, that comes from the Latin vocare, which means anybody know? Anybody read it? <laughs> vocare is to call. So a vocation is a calling, right? People say, well, I found my calling. Well, who's calling you? I mean, unless you've got a personality disorder, it's going to be somebody other than yourself, Right? 
It's always understood that this calling is something that is placed on us by God. Our vocation is what God has called us to do. So, in a sense, a religious vocation, kind of like a Jewish rabbi, right? It's a vocation. That means it is something that has some sort of religious significance because it is from God. And whether these people who think they're called to be president or called to serve, in fact, are or not, I don't know. But it's the responsibility of all of us who feel like we have a calling to try to discern that call, to try to have a sense of whether these things are the things we're called to do or not. One of the ways we do that is generally not by announcing to other people that we have a calling, but uh, maybe asking them what they think. People we're in community with may have a sense of what it is God's calling us to do. Sometimes we're too close to it, to see clearly by ourselves. But then having discerned it to, to do it, we're called to do it. Paul says it this way in, in Romans. He says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God's given you, just as each of us has one body with many members. These members don't all have the same function, i.e., you've all got different parts of your body and they don't all do the same thing. So, in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We've got different gifts according to the grace given us. So if a person's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Whatever it is God's given you to do, Paul's saying, do it. Do it faithfully. Do it diligently. Do it with enthusiasm. doesn't mean every moment that we're doing it, even if we are called to do it, even if it is within the gifting we have, doesn't mean every moment of it's going to be pure bliss. If it were, we probably wouldn't need to be reminded to do it diligently, would we? I am sure that there were days in the hot desert when the last thing that these Levites wanted to do was to pick up a big beam overlaid with metal and carry it around the desert. But that's what they were called to do. And so that's what they did. Nothing glorious or glamorous about it. But that's what faithfulness looks like. And God's called us to that. And the point is not just so that we can do what we're supposed to do, because God told us. The point of the exercise is that God has told us to do these things. He's called us to do the things that we do because he has a larger agenda that he is working out. This larger agenda of cosmic reconciliation. In the case of the Levites, enabling God's people to worship him the way he had called them to worship him was vitally important to their understanding of who they were and what they were called to do. Not only would they not be reconciled to God through the sacrifices if the Levites didn't do their job. But they would not be remembered every time they did set up camp. That the very center of their community was God in his holy tabernacle. That he had given to them. 
that he had enabled them to build through that Egyptian deferred compensation plan that he worked out. But that was just part of the story. The next 40 years or so, we're going to be working that part out. But the idea was not just that God's people would wander around in the wilderness, but he had a place for them to go because he had a mission for them. And so it is with us. The things God calls us to do, the things that God equips us for, are not just for us. They are part of our doing the work that he's called us to do in service of his larger mission, in service of his larger agenda. God is about the work of cosmic reconciliation. And the most humble, the most unglamorous, the simplest act of faithfulness on our part has that kind of cosmic significance. We may not see it, but God does. and calls us to be faithful in it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we confess that like the Corinthians, we can be impressed with ourselves. We can look at the things that we do as more important than the things other people are doing. Or we can look at the things we're doing and think they're not important because they don't seem as interesting as what somebody else is doing. Lord, we pray you'd give us the humility to receive gratefully from you the calling that you placed on each of us. Give us the grace to hear from you, to hear clearly, to humbly submit what we think we're hearing to those we're in community with. And then to faithfully do the work you've called us to. Whatever that work is. Lord, we're grateful to be part of a community full of people who do that. Who demonstrate their faithfulness in so many ways. We pray that we would honor one another in the work that you've called us to. That we would rejoice, even delight in the fact that you've given so many of us so many different gifts. That they're all part of the work that you're doing. Lord, give us the grace to be faithful. In Christ's name, amen.